Hey, Unnaturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural. An in-person edition. In-person edition. Finally, it's been a long time since we've done this. Yeah, months and months. We're seeing each other in real life. It's kind of weird. It is a little weird. Not going to lie. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> but we, what we are going to talk about is... Is murder? Murder. Yes! I was hoping you'd say that. Murder... Monkeys and mayhem, if you will. The three M's? You're going for the three M's? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. So the lady we're talking about today is a primatologist whose work was arguably responsible for the mountain gorillas of Rwanda continuing to exist today. Her fight against poachers and tourism, however, resulted in a long list of enemies. There are several theories as to who killed her, but... Really, her murder is still unsolved to this day. This is the story of Dr. Diane Fossey. to put in a little disclaimer before we really dive into this that I may have gotten the timeline of these events a little bit wrong because throughout my research it was a little all over the place um so if I get the timeline wrong I am you're leaving yourself an out right now I am leaving myself an out I really did my best I really did my best to make sure that everything that I am talking about is happening chronologically but there could be some boo-boos yeah well like between the book that I read and the documentary and even the movie about Diane's life sources differ from when certain things happened noted you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway, that's my disclaimer for if I mess up, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, at least you gave the apology ahead of time. I did. That's good. I did. I'm just covering all my bases <laughs> right. here. But anyway, Diane Fossey was born January 16th, 1932 in San Francisco. Her parents divorced when she was really young. She ended up living with her mom and stepfather. She was a great student and always had an interest in animals since she was a really young girl. She took horseback riding lessons when she was six. And in high school, she even got a letter for the riding team. Really? Yeah. Did you let her in anything in high school? Not a goddamn thing. What about you? Nope. I was too busy partying and drinking to I care was, about uh, anything. Smoking behind the bleachers. Yeah. Whoops. That tracks. Sorry about that, Mom. It's all right. (laughs) Mom, if you're listening, you didn't hear nothing. Fast forward. (laughs) Anyhow, after high school, Diane attended Marin Junior College, and she majored in business. During the summer after her first year in college, she went to work on a ranch in Montana, and she really developed a deep love and connection with the animals. But she did have to leave early because she contracted the chicken pox. Ooh, Now, side note, chicken pox, when did you get them? Or did you get them? I did get them. I remember being 
very small and in daycare and one of the other daycare kids got chicken pox and the daycare lady made all of us other kids hug him without a shirt on what? yes is she was she crazy what well she just wanted us all to get it and get it over with because this was prior to the chicken pox vaccine mind wow. you but i didn't end up getting it until a few years later i want to say i was probably six five or six when this happened at the daycare and i think i got chicken pox when i was like eight or nine huh i was three and it was terrible my doctor said that I got the chicken pox worse than any kid he had ever seen. I, I still have scars from it. Mine was not that bad. I Mine don't, was terrible. I don't, I don't really, I remember the having to hug a kid and I, I graduated with this kid. I actually saw him a few weeks ago at an event for work, but that doesn't matter. I remember having to hug this kid more than I remember my actual experience with chicken pox. Really? Yeah. It's funny for me, like, getting the chicken pox was one of my first memories. It's like when people say, oh, what was your first memory? For me, it's always like, well, itching my skin all the time because I had like a billion blisters on me. But you were three and you yeah. remember that? That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I know. We digress. Yeah, we always um, digress. So following having to leave due to chicken pox, she decided to return to school at the University of California as a pre-veterinary student. Oh, wow. Good for her. But, and I can relate here, she struggled with chemistry and physics. Yeah. As one does. So she decided to pivot. Mm, she her, pivoted. She pivoted. Her college career again and changed course to occupational therapy at San Jose State College, which she did graduate in 1954. And she interned at different hospitals in California. Yeah. Um, she spent a good amount of time working with tuberculosis patients. Mm -hmm. And less than a year later, she moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where she she was hired as the director of the occupational therapy department at Cosair Crippled Children's Hospital. Now, Diane was a woman of who enjoyed the simple things in life. She lived outside the city in a small cottage on a farm, and she helped work with the animals there. But she did have a big dream and desire to see the world. Now, it was around this time, her friend had returned from going on safari in Africa, and she brought along with her plenty of pictures, oh. lots of stories. Can you imagine? I could. I would love to go to Africa. Bucket list, for sure. Yes. Like, just seeing a lion in the wild? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Or a giraffe? Oh, wow. <laughs> a hippo? Be careful of the hippos. They kill a lot of people. People don't realize hippos are deadlier than lions. They are. And like, it's weird. And what's crazy about hippos is they don't kill for food. They kill for fun. Yeah. Because guess what? They're crazy. They're herbivores. They're like psychotic. they don't eat meat, but they'll kill meat. They're insane. Which is what we are. We are. Today. We are just big sacks of meat. <laughs> so Diane decides that she really wants to go to... Africa. In 1963, she took out a loan and planned her first trip to the country. So the bank loan, along with her entire life savings, she goes to Kenya, Tanzania, the Congo, 
and Zimbabwe in September of that year. That would be awesome. Yeah, right? But that's the part of Africa I want to go to, like right in the heart of it. I want to go there. I really want to go to Egypt as yeah. well. Egypt's too cool too. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that always doesn't always like feel as Africa y. Yeah, it doesn't register as because it's Africa. its own thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you have Egypt and then you have like the rest of Africa. Right. Exactly. So anyway, um, this guy named John Alexander was a British hunter who acted as her guide while she was. In Africa, which was a pivotal moment mm. in Diane's life, because that is when she, or it's shortly after when she meets Dr. Lewis Leakey. Um, but during the visit with Leakey, he told Diane about Jane Goodall's work with chimps in Tanzania, which at the time her research was only in its third year. Mm. You mentioned Jane Goodall earlier, yeah, on how just kind of before we started recording that she's kind of one of your. I, don't know. I remember my mom is a big avid follower of PBS mm-hmm. and ever since a young age, anytime there was like a Jane Goodall documentary, she would make the whole family watch it. Mm-hmm. And that woman was amazing. Just living with the chimpanzees, the gorillas like she did for all those years. Yeah. And being in a country country like that and being vulnerable as a woman like that, it just Wow, she's one of the OGs. She's she's just fantastic. She is. So Leaky told Diane about the importance of long-term study of apes. And during that visit, he allowed Diane to look around at some of the excavation sites. But she ended up falling and breaking her ankle. Oh. And being that working with mountain gorillas would involve climbing, well, You can't really climb with a broken ankle. No, not very well anyway. No. However, it's at this point where Diane really becomes determined that she wants to study the mountain gorillas. So she returns home from Africa, lets her ankle heal. Um, She does continue to work at the children's hospital. And she published some, some articles and photos from her trip And then in 1966, Leakey had traveled to Louisville to lecture and they had met and spoke about the field project study on gorillas in Africa. I can't imagine what that was like for her. Because have you ever seen those videos of when people encounter mountain gorillas for the first time in their natural habitats? It's just and the eye contact that they give you, they look so much like us. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, if you ask Diane, you're not supposed to make eye contact. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to look down, especially towards the dominant, those silverbacks. Mm -hmm. You got to be careful. Well, and Diane wasn't really a big fan of the tourism, but we'll get into that later. Anyhow, Leaky told her that if she wanted to do this, then she would have had to have her appendix removed. And, And Diane was like, sure, no problem. Cut the bitch out. What? Why did she have to have her appendix removed? Well, because the place that they would have been was so remote that, like, if something as preventable, maybe, as appendicitis were to happen, like, she would be fucked. So, yeah. So, he said, if you want to do this, you got to get your appendix taken out. Yeah. Just so, like, a preventable thing. Yeah. Yeah. But later, he did admit that he suggested the appendix removal just to see how determined she was to do the study. 
and the she study. Was. So it was the test. She passed. Flying colors. Flying colors. I mean, honestly, though, like if getting my appendix removed was really all it took to live out my life stream. What do I need an appendix for? No. Take a kidney while you're at it. Sell it on the black market. Give me 50 grand. Yeah. Hey, you want my spleen? Go ahead. <laughs> Anything non-essential that I can live without? Take it. Go my ahead. sister got her spleen removed once. Well, well only once because she only has you know one. Th- that'd be a better story. My sister got her spleen removed twice. That's but that would be a lie. On unnatural. It did take several months to secure the funding. And then in that time, Diane was preparing for this trip. She began learning Swahili and she was reading up on the minimal amount of research that was available at the time on gorillas. Hmm. In December of 1966, she was on her way back to Africa the first stop was Nairobi to gather provisions, and then she made her way deep into the mountains of the Congo. Um, they did stop at the Gombe Stream Research Center, and she did meet Jane Goodall. Oh, wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. And she was able to observe, observe her methods in studying the chimps. Mm-hmm. So then she began her study in the Congo in 1967. Photographer Alan Root helped teach her the basics of tracking the gorillas and how they they made camp high up in the mountains. Nearest, the people made their camp nearest to where the gorillas were. Right. The gorillas and did not camp. They did not camp. Yeah. That we um, know of. That we know of. The gorillas at first would not let her get close to them, but after a while, um, Diane started to mimic their behavior, and she was gradually able to get closer and closer. Huh. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I can't imagine how cool that would be. Yeah, but also during this time, there was a civil war brewing in the Congo. And on July 9th, 1967, she Soldiers showed up at the camp and took Diane away, and she was detained for two weeks. Mm. Now, I I didn't write this down, but I remember something in the documentary about... There's a four-part documentary. Um, you can buy or rent it on Amazon. It's really good. I recommend you watch it. Um, but I remember that they were saying something at the time was happening with the Civil War, and something happened with... Um, like tourists were accused of something or like white people. And they just kind of wanted all the tourists and white people out of the country. Yeah. Which was a big reason why they came, took her away. Mm -hmm. And she was really worried that her research would have been for nothing. And she was pretty pissed, honestly, that she had gotten taken away from her camp and her research. But after talking with Leaky and kind of getting things figured out, she was able to have been relocated to continue her research on the other side in Rwanda in a national park between two mountains. So she didn't have to go far. No, she really didn't yeah. have to go that far. And on September 24th, 1967, she founded the Karasoki Research Center.
So throughout her research, what she kind of did is there was different families of gorillas that they were monitoring, right? Mm -hmm. And Diane, throughout the course of her research, got particularly close to one family of gorillas she called Group 4. Now, apparently, poaching was also a big problem. Yeah, still is, too. this area. Yeah. But it was my understanding that kind of at this point in time, um, hunting in general was illegal. So a lot of what the poachers were doing is they were setting up snare traps with the intent of catching antelope. But just because that was their intent, it didn't prevent gorillas from getting caught in the snares. Right. And yep. the gorillas getting caught in the crossfire really pissed Diane off. Because there's so few of them left. Yeah, there was so few of them left at the at the time. Yeah. Um, I know she said in some interviews that she like she said that unless something changes, she didn't anticipate them surviving more than ten years. Yeah, but and luckily, and knock on wood, they're still around. They are still around, and if, by all accounts, it seems like they are somewhat thriving. Yeah, certain pockets. considering. Yeah, considering everything um like habitat loss humans you know whatever mm-hmm. but diane had started to make a reputation for herself with the locals by wearing halloween masks and influencing rumors that she was a witch a witch mm-hmm. why did they think she was a witch well she they they had a nickname for her um i I can't think of what it was called. Like, was this just part of some sort of, uh, you know? It was know. kind of like an anti-poaching thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, she wanted people to be afraid of her and afraid to right. go into this part of the forest. Um, and then in 1968, the National Geographic Society sent photographer Bob Campbell to document her work. And at first, Diana's like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? <laughs> she <laughs> she was. What the fuck is this guy doing That's here? That's exactly how it went down. I would imagine her that she said, quote verbatim, like she's watching Bob walk up into the camp and she's like, who the fuck is that? Right. Because she thought that he was going to interrupt her research. He was going to like be a nuisance, be in the way, kind yeah. of prevent all the progress that she had been but making with the gorilla. that's the case. Well, they did end up becoming close friends and he, you know, she kind of taught him her ways with the gorillas. Like he wasn't getting in as close with them as she was. He was kind of like really hanging back. But despite the fact that he was married, they did end up having an affair. Mm. And by all accounts, Diane was very much in love with him, but he did ultimately end up choosing to be with his wife. Um, I think at one point she did end up getting pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she did have an abortion because she she was a career person. She was like, you know, I can't I can't be a mother and raise a baby while also doing my research with these gorillas. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. What a moment for her that must have been. Yeah. Um, His photos are really what catapulted her into fame by being featured on the cover of a National Geographic magazine in 1970, I believe. And um, with this kind of public exposure to her research and all of that, students in college began wanting to travel to Africa to research with her and under her. Hmm. 
And then somewhere around in 1971, Dr. Leakey told her that she should go to England to get her doctoral degree and to get more credit, basically, to get more funding and sponsors and whatnot so she could continue her research. And she's like, if Dr. Leakey says that, I better fucking do it. Well, she didn't want like she didn't want to leave England. She didn't want to leave Africa. She didn't want to leave the gorillas. She didn't want to leave her work, but she did end up bouncing back and forth between England and Africa. And she did ultimately earn a zoology degree and officially became a doctor. But um, during this time, or before she got her um, doctorate degree, Dr. Leakey did die, mm. which is unfortunate. Yeah. But by 1972, 100 gorillas were identified in her research area. And poaching was still a big problem, but now they had decided to start targeting the gorillas because assholes in England, probably America, like rich pompous snobs like to have their skulls as trophies and they would use their hands as ashtrays oh my god that's horrible yeah so there was rich fuckers that do that that go to africa and you know just like kill all these animals and just trophy hunting like they're not even using it for it's just the worst yeah the absolute worst i agree there have been many of many of people and tourists to get canceled on the internet for Mm -hmm. as they should yeah as they should so dumb motherfuckers like to use gorilla skulls as trophies and their hands as ashtrays but after the um after the uh national geographic mazing came out um she diane did get a little bit of criticism for her methods of research for getting so close to the gorillas um Yeah, some experts, experts, quote unquote, were saying that she, um, you know, she was not a gorilla and she should have just stayed back and observed and recorded instead of kind of integrating herself into their family. Right. Basically. But I mean, what I guess what problem did they have with that? Like, why is it wrong for her to do that? I don't get it unsure yeah i mean it's not like she's hurting anything well right, and she's exactly. learning so much about them yeah and especially i feel like when it comes to, i don't know i'm not a scientist or a biologist or a primatologist or anything like that but i feel like if you have the opportunity to get that close uh-huh. to an animal to like while you're studying their behavior how their their families work, you're gonna learn a lot more about them yeah and she did She did. Anyhow, she starts to get close with one particular gorilla that she decided to call Digit because he had a broken finger. Aww. And it, like, healed Goofy. Yeah. But super cute. She starts working, and she's just working so hard that she did end up getting sick in 1977. Mm. And... I think this is because she did a lot of chain smoking and a lot of drinking and she did have issues with her lungs. Mm -hmm. So she did go back to the United States for treatment. And then this is where my timeline gets goofy because like on the on um, Diane's kind of foundation website, it says that this really tragic thing happened before she returned to camp. But all their sources made it kind of seem like she was there when it was going this on. awful thing happened. Okay. But 
Um, the awful thing that happened was on December 31st, 1977, Digit, Diane's favorite gorilla, yeah. died. Oh. Defending his family from poachers. Oh, my God. Trigger warning. I can't imagine. Are you ready for your heart to absolutely just get ripped out of your chest? This is going to be a tough. You know what they did to Digit? What? They decapitated him. Oh, my God. They severed his hands, and he was stabbed multiple times. Mm. However, during the struggle, Digit did manage to kill one of the poacher's dogs, allowing the other 13 members of his family and group to escape. Bummer for the dog. The dog really didn't know what he was doing. Well, no. The dog was just doing what it was told to. Right. But I, I'm trying to picture this scene in my head, even though I don't want to. And that poor gorilla. And gosh, it's just when, when there's something that's so closely related to us, mm-hmm. you know, and you see it die in such a tragic way. Yeah. It, you can't help but feel just an outpouring of empathy for that animal because that should never happen. Yeah. Well, and every time like Diane had talked about it, she talked about like digits murder. He was murdered. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So it is theorized that he was targeted or the gorillas had started to be targeted to send a message to Diane because she was doing her best to stop poaching and it was also theorized that these poachers on this specific day were trying to get a hold of one of the babies to sell to a zoo Hmm. or something yeah Um, make some money off it yeah but you know like i said before diane was trying to create this this persona of being a witch and um she had a kind of built a reputation or, you know, she was she was taking down traps and snares. She was, you know, doing her best to sabotage the efforts of the poachers. Mm-hmm. Um, according to some sources, at one point, she and some of her research team captured one of the poachers and essentially tortured and humiliated him into giving up names of his accomplices. Wow. Good on them. Yeah. Um, Before they were taken to kind of like the park headquarters is when all this was happening. They were allegedly stripped and whipped with stinging nettles in their nether regions and other places of their body. So Diane had kind of turned herself into a bit of a vigilante. Yeah, good. She confiscated all of their weapons. And some of these poachers were later imprisoned after they were turned over to the proper authorities. But... Um, as you can imagine, poachers, pretty much by definition, are kind of some unruly people to yeah. piss off. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get fight fighting fire with fire, but you might get burned, too. Right. And she was fully aware of her list of enemies that seemed to be growing by the day. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like at this point she was really pivoting from research to conservationist. Mm. Sounds a little superfluous, if you ask me. About six months after Digit was murdered, the poachers struck again. And this time, the motherfuckers killed the silverback, Uncle Bert, 
He was shot. He was beheaded. Oh, my God. Matcha was kind of like the head female. She was killed and her baby was injured because they were trying to take the baby to be sold to a zoo. These motherfuckers, they're they're not going to stop. No. Until somebody stops them, it feels like. So Digit, the silverback, kind of like the alpha female, have all been killed in this group four family. And um, especially after the silverback goes down, a a gorilla family really just doesn't know what the hell to do. So they, they... for the most part, they the family disintegrated and they yeah, kind of went. Yeah, they, they dispersed. probably go into other families. Yeah, and Diane's behavior and hatred towards the locals and the poachers really escalated and increased. Which, this is again. her whole life. Yeah, this is what she lives for. This is why she is out there. I, I can imagine that she is beyond pissed. I mean, not pissed off but she is enraged and she probably wants to do something about it yeah for sure um people who were out there with her at this time describe her like she she did see digit's body i think and she was just overcome with grief yeah and Apparently, she did know one poacher kind of in a local village who had a gun and had been implicated in the killing of the gorillas. And she went down to that village and she demanded that he hand over the gun. And How she, did that go over? Well, it didn't go well. Yeah. Um, she set some of their huts on fire and she apparently grabbed a little boy and said, give me the gun or I'll take the boy. Wow. Yeah. She's really going off the rails here. Well, and here's the thing. Um, For the most part, people figured she was bluffing about literally kidnapping a child. Mm -hmm. But the poachers called her bluff. Yeah. And they were like, not giving you the gun. Take the fucking kid. So did she take the kid? She took the kid. Oh, my God. She took the kid back to camp. She kidnapped him. Oh, not the right choice. No, but but she did take him back home the next day because, like, she knew that what she had done was fucked up. But she really just kind of wanted to show these people that she wasn't fucking around. Well, and it's sort of like on a lesser scale when you're arguing with somebody. Yeah. And you say something you don't mean, and then later you realize, oh, I done fucked up. Right. Um, She did end up paying a fine for the situation a fine she didn't go to jail yeah she's lucky she's well she brought the kid back yeah no harm no foul pay a fine you're gonna go right um and then throughout the 70s she was getting increasingly violent and her enemy list was growing she knew she had enemies she knew she was constantly in danger she um, either wrote in one of her journals or, or maybe in her book. And she said, you know, I don't I don't even go to the bathroom without my gun on my hip. Damn. That's a paranoid person right there. Oh, well, I mean. Uh, no, I, she's got reason. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she did end up setting up a special fund to pay for people to patrol and protect the area. And then in 1980, she did move back to Ithaca, New York, uh, and was acting as a visiting associate for, um, or a visiting associate professor at Cornell University. Hmm. 
Now, mind you, um, she's still having lung issues. She's got emphysema. Uh, she can't like go up into the mountains as well as she used to be able to. So I think what brought her back to New York was needing to to get the word out about what's happening. Yeah, being an advocate. Yeah, being an advocate, but also she needed some some medical care as right. well. That she couldn't get when she was in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Right. So she publishes Gorillas in the Mist in 1983 and uses the publicity from that to promote the Digit Fund, which she had set up for, you know, her conservation efforts. And also, like I said, to pay people to patrol the area, protect the gorillas and the wildlife and whatnot from poachers. Yeah. And... Um, eventually she did return to Karasoki, although she was quite sick. By the time she returned, she did have pretty advanced emphysema due to chain smoking for many, many years. Uh, she had an oxygen tank in tow with her. So like I said, she was unable to go up into the mountains, but she did have a research assistant who would, you know, go up into the mountains, record the gorillas. And he said, like, every day when I got back to camp, she was right there. She wanted to know what was happening. She wanted to see pictures. She wanted to hear every single detail. Mm-hmm. She still was so engaged. Yeah. With it, even though her life personally wasn't going that great health wise. Right. She still cared about the gorillas that much. Yeah. And because she had so many enemies from the poachers up all the way up into the Rwandan government, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were kind of even starting to push on renewing her visa. So she had to go down to like the city every month to renew her visa. Wow, what a pain in the ass. Yeah. And people were like, Diane, like, you got to get out of there. You got to go. And then, unfortunately, on December 27th, 1985, Diane was found dead in her cabin. Oh, my God. She was 53 years old. Um, Her research assistant that I had mentioned, Wayne McGuire, entered the cabin. He said, quote, when I reached down to check her vital signs, I saw her face had been split diagonally with one machete blow. Oh, she was murdered. 100%. Oh my God. At first, when you mentioned that, because you were, you had been talking about the emphysema, you know, her health had been deteriorating. I just thought she maybe died in her sleep. Mm -mm. So somebody got her. My guy, this is a true crime podcast. Yeah, I know. I know. I I figured it was going to go down that route at some point. I just wasn't expecting this. Right. Her cabin had been ransacked. Mm Hmm. There was broken glass, furniture was turned over, but nothing was missing. There was plenty of cash. She had her jewelry that was still there. Her passport was there, a gun, all of the machetes and weapons that she had taken off the poachers. So this wasn't a robbery, obviously. No. Somebody put a hit on her. Yes, Mm -hmm. I think so. Obviously, yeah. And here's where it gets kind of fucky. I think. And this this is what I noticed. It's briefly, briefly mentioned in the documentary, but it's something that I really kind of latched onto. But Wayne, who was one of the first people to to see her, 
mentioned that he would have expected there to be more blood with her head literally split open it sounds like there was it wasn't just the one blow to her face like she was she yeah she had been pretty brutalized so you'd think and we all know that well head wounds bleed like a motherfucker yeah like i i could knock my head on the corner of the coffee table please don't I'm going to try not to, but you know, head wounds have a tendency to bleed profusely because there's so many capillaries and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So you would expect her cabin to just be completely saturated with blood. Right. And it really wasn't. Huh. It is entertained in the documentary that was put out in 2017 that perhaps she had been killed somewhere else and placed in her cabin. Oh, because that would make sense. Well, because here's the other thing. A hole had been cut in the side of her cabin. Now, I don't think I've really talked about her cabin much. So it's kind of um, it's kind of rickety. But like the the sides were more or less made of tin or aluminum. Mm-hmm. So if someone is cutting into that to make a hole to get inside, it's not going to be quiet. No. You're going to hear it. It's going to be loud as fuck. And this cabin is not large yeah right so if this you know if this happened in the middle of the night she i would have to think that she would definitely have woken up for sure if someone was cutting in yeah which leads more to the theory that they killed her somewhere else and then cut open that area and stuffed her body back in there right but then also devil's advocate she drank quite heavily she smoked quite heavily despite the emphysema so was she so drunk and passed out that she didn't hear it could be yeah could be i doubt it i doubt that theory but there have been a few times where I've been so drunk and I had an alarm set and I just slept through it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Same. So who but knows? an alarm's one thing. Um, cutting through tin is another thing. Yeah. And especially for someone who's just like constantly on that high alert. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, clumps of hair were also found in her hands. They were dark hair like hers. So were they, was it her own hair? Was it a perpetrator? Because it was brought up uh, in the documentary, a gal who was, I I think, a U.S. ambassador in Rwanda was like, you know, they obviously got called out there too. So she brought up the possibility that as Diane was being attacked, she could have either reached up, grabbed the hair, pulled it out, or she put her hands behind her head trying to protect herself. Yeah. And then maybe her hands got ripped away and her own hair. hair Yeah. Because this is also, you know, 1985. So DNA forensics still new, still new. And you're in Rwanda. Yeah. One of the poorest countries at the time. Yeah, it's almost non-existent there. Right. So the crime scene was not handled well Mm. at all. Rwandan officials grabbed machetes and probably the murder weapon with their bare hands. Right. Just And placed them in plastic bags. Yeah. Completely contaminating the murder scene. Yeah, the hair in her hand was bagged and hair from her head, like, separately. 
was begged to be tested to see if it was hers or somebody else. Um, And her entire staff at the research center was arrested. Really? Yeah. Most of them were let go pretty quickly. They did also find two bare human footprints, like from two different people outside of her cabin and like kind of around the area. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the people involved in this made the comment that white people don't walk around without shoes. Locals do. Yeah. Subjective, but yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, all of the research team was eventually released except for Wayne, her research assistant and a tracker named Emmanuel. Wayne was eventually released, but Emmanuel wasn't. This is also kind of where the timeline got really goofy for me. So Emmanuel and Wayne ended up being charged with Diane's murder. Really? Yes. But Wayne, who was just 35 at the time, was kind of blindsided with being accused of this. And... um. He heard about the fact that he was going to be officially charged and he fled back to the United States and went into hiding. Hmm. But Emmanuel, on the other hand, from my understanding, was never actually released from the jail. But around the time that Wayne was supposed to be going to trial, Emmanuel was found dead in his prison cell, allegedly from hanging himself. Can we say Jeffrey Epstein? Exactly. My thoughts. So the Rwandan court did end up having a trial without Wayne present. This trial lasted. Guess how long it lasted? Two days. No. How long? 40 minutes. What? Yeah. 40 minute trial. 40 minutes. Did they push fast forward on that shit? Apparently they were on. Well, I mean, Wayne wasn't present. He had no representation. So what's the word for it? We discussed this, what, two weeks ago? Last week? Yeah, in the uh, Kalinka Bamberski case. Yeah. I had memorized that shit too. I don't remember. Doesn't matter. Wayne wasn't there. He didn't have any representation. The trial lasted 40 minutes. In absentia. In absentia. (laughs) So. During this 40-minute trial, there was really no physical evidence to tie Wayne to the murder, only that he was her assistant. So the prosecution alleged that he killed her to steal the manuscript of the sequel for her book that she was working on at the time. Because, yeah, he wasn't happy with his own research and wanted to use hers to complete his work. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. A bit. They also alleged that shortly after her death, he was seen carrying boxes of paper to his cabin. Hmm. So like her research. Right. They also alleged that Wayne and Emmanuel were both conspiring to kill Diane, even though neither of them spoke the same language. Hmm. So Wayne spoke English. Emmanuel spoke Swahili. Emmanuel didn't speak English. Wayne didn't speak Swahili. But they both spoke murder. They did both speak murder. Together. Yeah. Clearly. They just did like hand signals. Like one of them would point to Diane, like do the finger across the throat <laughs> yeah. thing. And the other one gave the thumbs, the thumbs up right. and like they were good to go. Yeah. 
So the government did say that the lab analysis of her hand or the lab analysis of her hand, the lab analysis of the hair found clenched in her fist at the time of her murder belonged to a white person. And Wayne Wayne was white. Okay. But um, Diane was also white. So. Who knows? Right. Leaving that out there. Leaving that out there. And Wayne was found guilty and sentenced to death. Whoa. In Rwanda. What is death in Rwanda? Firing squad, probably. Yeah, it probably is a firing squad. Um, Side note, I just heard that they're bringing back the firing squad to, I think it was South Carolina. Do it. I was shocked when I heard that. Shoot a motherfucker in the brain. <laughs> I mean, for me, I would probably prefer that to lethal injection. What about you? If you look, if you were going to die and they said, hey, do you want firing squad or lethal injection or the electric chair? I would go firing squad any day of the week because you're done. Are you? Well, I mean, if they shoot you in the head. What if they're not aiming for your head? Then... Well, that's true. Yeah, they could just be assholes. But I also don't want to be like just don't cascaded shoot with me. bullet wounds. Don't shoot me in the nether regions, like all shot. right? That's exactly where I'm going to go. <laughs> Kneecaps, nether region. <laughs> don't don't take <laughs> don't take your shit out on men on me, okay? Hey. <laughs> Who's the one going to be holding the gun in this scenario? (laughs) Not you. I think I would choose the chair. Really? Mm. Oh, man. Having all that electric current pumping through your body. It's electric. It is electric. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Give me the gun. But we're both opposed. I mean, we both agree that even though it's the one that's being used all the time now, lethal injection, no way. There's so many different stories and scenarios I've heard of, of things going wrong with lethal injection and uh uh-uh. I just feel like... It's actually not humane. I just feel like, like, here's the thing. If they gave me... I would choose lethal lethal injection if they like put you under anesthesia first. Like they don't though. I know, but like if lethal injection involved me being put to sleep and then you inject all the things, like cool, cool. I feel like my understanding of the process is like kind of slow and like you're just like aware of everything that's happening. Like I feel like. Um, because like you got to see the things like zoom, zoom, like one yeah. thing goes down after another, like the chair quick, they That's turn it on, boom, you're done. Yeah. And then you make a good point. Maybe I should go with the chair. Anyway, most everybody thought that him being accused and found guilty was insane. And there was really from my understanding, no real solid attempt to have him extradited to Rwanda from the U.S. And there's no real like treaty for that between Rwanda and the U.S. So even if they had tried, I doubt we would have obliged. Right. So who killed her? Yeah. 
Many believe it was the poachers who had finally had enough and came in the night and killed her. Um, there are theories that the Rwandan government put out a hit. Also, a few months before... They were corrupt as fuck at that time, too, so... Oh, yeah. Um, a handful of years ago, the I believe it was the president at the time? Mm-hmm. He had fled the country and he was, um, there were charges brought against him for the genocide of many of the Rwandan people, but also Diane was brought up in those charges. Really? During that whole thing? Yes. Huh. But a few months before her death, she had also signed a $1 million contract with Universal Studios for a movie based on her book, Mm. which is a movie it's on amazon prime really gorillas in the mist watch it yeah i'm gonna check it out it's also alleged that um she had a lot of information about smugglers in the area particularly gold smugglers who were in cahoots with the poachers the government and she had basically planned to be a whistleblower on the corruption so they wanted to take her out yeah so like the poachers the smugglers the government were all working together Together. because there was money in all of this they all had mutual interest yeah yeah i that's the one that i'm going with yeah to me it seems collaborative effort yeah yeah I could see that. Yeah. Especially when you get to into those third world countries, there's a lot of shady shit that goes on. Oh, for sure. So Diane was buried in a cemetery at um, the nature reserve next to all of next to digit and the other gorillas that had perished. That is amazing. I know. I think it's so sweet. Um, She had a really great funeral, it sounds like. Yeah. So technically, even though, like, if you want to get technical, her murder was kind of solved according to the Rwandan government. But I really don't believe it. Doesn't sound like it to me. Yeah, no. Um, Wayne also participated in this documentary. You know, he spoke he spoke really highly of her and he was like, you know, I would I would never. He's like, I looked up to Diane. She was my mentor. She was my teacher. I would never have killed her. I'm surprised that he agreed to be in the documentary. Yeah, well, I think it's been because the documentary came out in 2017, which really wasn't that long ago. She died in the 80s. And I I think he probably just. It's you know, been so it's, much time. it's been so much time that he probably feels a lot more comfortable coming yeah, out and speaking out that's about true. it. That's true. So, yeah, that is the story of Diane, Dr. Diane Fossey. I mean, the, the gorilla girl. Yeah. A tragic ending. But what a markly sh- she left on this world. Oh, yeah. Her um, her foundation, the Digit Fund, has been renamed. I forget. I'm sorry. I feel so bad. I forget what it's called now. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, it's still going. It's still... We can put it on the socials. We can put it on the socials. Um, You can see pictures from this case, past cases and future cases, depending on when you're listening. Come hang out with us on Twitter, at UnnaturalThePod. We have an Instagram page, UnnaturalThePodcast. We also have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us a Gmail, UnnaturalThePodcast at gmail.com. 
We also have a Patreon page where you can get behind the scenes content, ad-free episodes, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And if you are an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, send us a screenshot of you giving us a five-star review and we will send you a free sticker. As always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends. We will talk to you next week when Andy tells us about what? We're going to the White House. The White House. Yeah. Did you know... There were a series of murders at the White House. Doesn't surprise me. Well, maybe there were, but we're actually going to a different White House. We're going oh. across the pond Ooh! to England. And England! That's not English. Never mind. I thought you were going to say put another shrimp on the barber. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. We are going to England to talk about the White House farm murders Mm. that took place in 1985. It's another one of those things that's like huge over there, but Americans don't know about it so much. I'm excited to learn about it. We're going to learn about it next week. In the meantime, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. seemed like at this point she was really pivoting from research to conservationist. Sounds a little superfluous, if you ask me. Because that was my word. I know, but are you picking up how often I'm putting mm-hmm. the word pivot? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. So, uh, Dr. Lewis Leakey. Yeah. Do we know what was leaking out of him, or... Intelligence. Okay. Money. (laughs) Suave. (laughs) Oh, pizza's done. Now we will take a break to enjoy some delicious pizza from Hedgies. Hedgies is not a sponsor, but we wish they would be at some point. Hedgies, if you're listening, feel free to email us. Unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. So her friend returns from Africa. Africa. <laughs> her friend Africa. Africa. She go to Africa. I bless the rains <laughs> down in Africa. <laughs> she was hired as the director of the occupational therapy department at Cosair Crippled Children's Hospital. It's a mouse. Mouthful. That is a mouthful. I almost said a mouthful because of your mouth. I I had to say it three (laughs) times. (laughs) I have nightmares about hippos sometimes. I. That's why when I was a kid, like Hungry Hungry Hippos was one of my least favorite games. I don't want anything to do with those motherfuckers. But they're so cute when they're babies. They are, but they turn into fucking monsters. Yeah, but like, have you seen the cute videos on the internet of like, them eating the watermelon they're just they just look so happy see you know what uh, negates that for me your skull what's wrong with my skull no the like envision of like instead of a watermelon it's your head no although that yes that does now now it does (laughs) no what negates (laughs) it for me is the videos of them uh spinning their little tails and flinging their dung all over the place (laughs) (laughs) you know what they do that they they just 
Their dung goes everywhere. Poop. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I'm calling it dung. I think it's because I watch too many... Are you trying to be politically correct? No. Have you been watching too much National Geographic? I do. I watch National Geographic to go to sleep. But then it backfires because, like, I'll see, like, a killing scene. And then I can't go to sleep for hours after that. Well... Dr. Lewis Leakey. Yeah. Do we know what was leaking out of him or? Intelligence. Okay. Money. (laughs) Suave. Hard shard. Hard shard. Hard shard. Hard shard. It's a hard one. <laughs> Shit. Don't you know? Bye, gosh. <laughs> Darn in Africa.